0: So this is the inaugural podcast launch of the Data Strategy Podcast, and I'm here with my good friend and the CEO and founder of Employee Cycle. Hey. Bruce! Welcome to the podcast, it's and thank you for keeping the, kicking this off with me. Of
1: course, of course, I'm honored. I've now made it. Hey. So
0: before we dive in, I, I owe you an apology, and I wanted to do it on air because what I did to you on the chessboard the other day. <laughs> was absolutely disrespectful, <laughs> and I felt bad. Like, it was carnage everywhere. Oh, I beat you to a pulp, and then I just said, let me, let me just apologize, because, I, I, you, you know, friends shouldn't treat friends like that. Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. On the video. There you On go. the video. I just want to memorialize that I don't forever. know if I would say to a pulp. All right. I think it was three solid games. Okay. And how many did
0: you win? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But let's talk about uh, HR data oh, and man. kick things off. All right, let's do it. So kickoff question is when you think about the HR space, who are some of the important companies that have advanced HR analytics as a whole, and what are some of those important companies that move the bar along? Just for example, if we were talking about CRM, you would have to mention Salesforce, that brought the CRM data to the cloud and gave us some of the best practices that we still use in SaaS. You would yep. have to talk about HubSpot, who brought in and ushered in inbound marketing and the importance of using content to drive people through the funnel. Yep. Talk to me about the, the HR space and the important companies.
1: Sure, that's a really interesting question and it really depends on what time frame you're talking about. So when you think back five, even seven years ago, you had companies like PeopleSoft, and Conexa, and really Ultipro and other companies that some of them are actually trying to modernize their platforms, but a lot of them are still legacy. Mm -hmm. But the biggest systems that you've had over the past three to five years, I would put them in two categories, the super enterprise space, and then the SME space, small to medium enterprise. On the enterprise space, hands down, you had companies like Workday that's been able to consolidate the both people side and the financial side and bring both of those into one place. So now the CFO and head of people or head of HR can really start bringing that data together so you can look at financial capital and then human capital all in one centralized place. And that really changed things for a lot of enterprise companies who wanted to be able to not only manage both of those functions in the same place, but then also look at the data and compare the data so that you can start seeing metrics like revenue per employee. Okay. For the small and medium-sized businesses, you really had companies, especially on the HRIS side, like Zenefits, Namely, Bamboo HR, to really start make the user experience so much more user-friendly, not only for the head of HR, but for all the end users and for all the employees who are using the system. And because of that, they've also spent a lot of capital, time, and resources in building a lot of reports to be able to really push HR reporting to a new level. Got it. So you mentioned Workday, like that pivotal company
0: to really advance things. And then you have the Bamboo, the Namely, yeah. Yeah. in these guys.
1: But it really just depends on also what category okay. are you talking about as well. Got because it. if you look at ATS and recruiting, you have systems like Lever and Greenhouse that have really started pushing recruiting metrics okay. and even DNI metrics inside of recruiting. Got it. And then in performance management and employee engagement, you have systems like fifteen five, culture ramp, lattice that are really pushing the ball forward and pushing the industry forward in regards to doing pulse surveys. Getting and collecting feedback on employee engagement Mm -hmm. in a much more consistent cadence versus just doing your typical legacy one employee engagement survey per year.
0: Got it. So talk to me about employee cycle and where it fits into the narrative and how it's uniquely positioned to add value in a market that seems to be pretty crowded.
1: Yeah, so this is my favorite topic. Yeah. (laughs) Talking about about employee cycle. So what we've seen, and I like that you used the analogy at the beginning of what marketing, sales, go-to-market systems really pushed the, the conversation and pushed the use of data on the sales and marketing side, mm-hmm. because HR has now had an inflection where they're not necessarily using as many systems on the, as sales and marketing is. I mean, I, th- I saw some stat the other day that said, on average, mid-market companies are using 50 to 60 different apps to track the entire customer lifecycle. Whereas on the HR side, they haven't got there yet, but they're getting pretty close. Mm -hmm. And so on average, a company might have 10 to 20 different HR systems. And because HR leaders are being demanded to be just as data-driven on the employee lifecycle side as sales and marketing is on the customer lifecycle side, that's where employee cycle comes in. Ah, Because to your point, a lot of HR leaders and people ops leaders, they're looking to use data to be smarter, to make smarter workforce decisions, to show ROI, to do better budgeting, to get budget for the things that they want. Mm-hmm. And for all these different use cases that they're trying to solve for, they wanna use data. Case in point, <clears throat> excuse me, we wanna figure out what does diversity look like, but not across the entire org, but by certain departments mm. or by certain level. Right. How many women do you have in leadership? How many women do you have in in technical roles? Because a lot of startups or companies with large Technical departments and engineering departments, they want to make sure that more women are working in there, as a lot of women are taking STEM, and that's a big movement, or compensation disparity, mm-hmm. making sure that not only are you paying men and women equally, but that you're paying people from disadvantaged or underserved backgrounds the same way. What does promotion velocity look like? How often are you promoting people, and what does that look like, and are you promoting a diverse group of people, or are certain people getting stuck at a certain stage? Wow. So with HR wanting to be able to solve a lot of these problems, but also following this path of using a bunch of different best in breed HR systems, Mm -hmm. what happens is that there's a lot of data stuck in a bunch of data silos that's not creating one comprehensive and cohesive data-driven story of the entire workforce. And so that's where Employee Cycle comes in. We have API connectors to the best in breed HR systems that primarily target employers under a thousand employees so that you can pull all that data into our dashboard and HR and people leaders can view, track, share, and analyze all that data in one place.
0: Very cool, very cool. So let's talk specifically about the data.
1: Yeah. When we
0: talk about HR analytics, I like to think about it in terms of seven <laughs> pillars. Yeah. I call it the two R's, three E's, the W and a C. Okay. So the two R's would be recruiting and retention. Okay. The three E's would be employee performance, employee yep. development, and yep. employee engagement. Okay. I'll talk about the W as workforce capacity. Yep. And I'll talk about the C as compensation and incentives. So cool. let's briefly hit each one. Okay. So when it comes to retention,
1: yeah.
0: how should companies be thinking about retention? And what are some metrics that companies should or can look at in the employee cycle as sure. far as a retention is concerned?
1: So from a retention standpoint, what you're really looking at is how people are staying at your company and where are they staying. And so are you retaining people after a certain period of time? And then really looking at your bench. So are you retaining people that have all the wisdom and institutional knowledge that they need to share with all the new employees? If you realize that you're not retaining employees above five or 10 years, then what happens is that you're gonna constantly have knowledge gaps, because you're gonna have a bunch of new people that can't really look up to people who've been there for a while to then just get that knowledge firsthand, and so they have to learn all over again, and they might be reinventing the wheel unnecessarily.
0: Like some huge brain drain at a company if you're not retaining your more senior staff.
1: You also wanna know, are you retaining people from diverse groups? Mm and diverse can be ethnicity, sexual orientation, age because what happens is that you might have a certain level of toxicity mm. in different departments or based off of different types of individual backgrounds. So if you're not retaining women, then why? Is it because you have crappy benefits and you don't really have a good maternity or paternity leave plan or you're not retaining or you're not retaining people of color because people don't feel welcome and they don't think that this is the culture that's not just diverse but also inviting Mm -hmm. and allowing me to thrive as a person of color. um, Is it not inclusive of people, different sexual orientation and is, is the culture so stuffy that it just doesn't feel like I can be myself in it? And so there's a lot of different metrics you should look at when it comes to retention.
0: Yeah, so I like it because it's not just looking at these metrics at the aggregate level Correct. of the percentage being retained, but you got to go granular and drill down by department, yep. by by seniority, gender, seniority, level, and all those location. Right. Because the devil's in the details. Exactly. So that's retention. Talk to me about recruitment. Does Employee Cycle help out there? and where does a company start to think about the metrics that go around with recruitment?
1: Sure, so you can start looking at metrics with recruitment from day one. Mm -hmm. And yes, we do show recruiting metrics, we connect to your applicant tracking system, and the metrics that you really wanna look at there are operational and efficiency. Mm -hmm. So one, how many candidates do you have? But then, not only how many candidates, but similar to how you look at a sales funnel for a customer, mm-hmm. you also wanna look at a funnel for a candidate as well. And then what do those conversion rates look like? Mm-hmm. Because that allows you to see from the top of the funnel if you actually are attracting a lot of great quality candidates, the same way if you can say on your sales funnel, or you attracting a lot of great quality customer prospects. Yeah so whatever your hiring funnel looks like you want to look at all those conversion metrics and say okay how many candidates did we bring in to, like all over all together so we brought in a thousand candidates okay from those a thousand candidates how many candidates then went to screening and then from those 700 how many of those went into first interview or coffee interview or phone interview or assessment or whatever it is so you could see one are you letting too many people through because you're not doing a good enough job of qualifying, but then also are enough enough people not getting through because they just aren't high quality enough. You also wanna look at your traffic sources to see where your candidates are coming from. from, And so, are your candidates coming from LinkedIn, Monster, Indeed, Craigslist, recruitment firms? And the reason why you wanna do that is because you also wanna start tracking cost per hire. And that's one of the hardest metrics to track because if you ask 100 different HR people, how to track cost per hire, you're gonna get a hundred different answers. Right. Sometimes it includes the onboarding costs. Sometimes it includes background screening. Sometimes it create a drug, ass- or drug screening, assessments, tests, <clears throat> excuse me, travel costs, mm-hmm. all different things. The time that people actually took to perform the interviews in the first place and how many interviews. But cost per hire is something that you wanna track at least from a source standpoint, especially if you're paying for different sources. Right. So just moving right to the three
0: E's. So we talked about the three E's in HR analytics, which were employee performance, employee development and employee engagement. Why don't you pick one and just talk to us about the metrics in one of those three that employee cycle can help with and how should companies be thinking about metrics?
1: Sure, so I'll be a little hard headed and pick two, because I think that they are linked and a lot of people should look at them the same, which is engagement and performance. Okay. Because studies have shown that if you have more engaged employees, then their productivity increases, and typically if productivity increases, then performance increases. So when you look at engagement and performance, you're looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, do people feel like this is a place where they feel empowered? Okay. Do people feel like there's a certain level of autonomy? Mm-hmm. Do employees feel like this is the type of work that gets them out of bed every day? so that they become their best version of themselves and they're doing the best work that they possibly can do. Mm-hmm. In order to start finding out those answers, and there's never gonna be 100% science, right. some of it is also gonna be qualitative as well, mm-hmm. but a lot of this is served by surveys. So yeah, you could just walk around and see if people are happy or sad based off of their face, but you do wanna put some metrics and numbers behind this and start asking different people with surveys, and you can choose the cadence of the surveys, but asking people, do you like what you're doing? Do you feel engaged with the work that you're doing? Is it empowering? Do you feel any sense of accountability with the work? Mm-hmm. Those types of things are really important to understand because you really want an engaged workforce. Right. The reason why that's so linked to performance is because, again, the better I feel about the work I'm doing, the more attached to the work I'm doing, the more pride in the work that I have the more i'm going to make sure that this is the best work possible and of course that's what the company wants so then when we flip it over to performance you're really looking at did people hit their goals but then when you're looking at the manager versus the employee you want to look at the delta between where did the manager think the employee performed versus where does the employee feel like they performed and then try to figure out if those two things are different why are they having like why is there a different perception between how productive this employee is
0: got it so when it comes to the employee performance and the employee engagement the use of surveys are the best practice at the current state and on the, engagement, wanna, side. On on the, the engagement, engagement side on the engagement side you right. would have
1: surveys but you should actually have hard numbers on the performance side now because again of goals. because of goals now again this is never going to be hard science again and 100 accurate because a lot of the times people will use performance metrics, so one to five, did this person hit their goal? Mm -hmm. The easiest way and the best place to measure people for performance is sales. Sales, Because that's the most data-driven, number-driven role there is. I had a quarter of 200,000 this month, I only hit 180,000, I didn't hit my goals. Or I had a quarter of 200,000, I achieved 400,000, I totally blew my goal out of the water. Very objective. Very, very objective. It becomes a lot more subjective the less you can actually quantify how a person's, the work that that person's doing and how closely it's tied to generating revenue or leads. Even marketing. Right. Marketing, because it's becoming so demand-gen mm-hmm. focused and lead-gen focused, you can even say, did you produce enough leads for the sales team? But outside of that, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So real quick, you said
0: that when it comes to tracking performance, right? You mentioned that you want to not only track performance whether or not you hit the goal But you want to look at it from the perspective of the manager correct and from the perspective of the employee Why why is that?
1: Because you want to see if they both believe that the employee actually performed where they should okay? So if you're my manager, and I think that I'm awesome. I think I'm a rock star Mm -hmm. But you think I suck (laughs) (laughs) Clearly there's an issue here, right? And how are we gonna to get to the bottom of this? But more importantly, how are we gonna figure out what are we measuring this on? Right. And so looking at performance based off of the manager's perception mm-hmm. of an employee, but then also the employee, really forces the company to figure out what are you being measured on? Right. Because otherwise it's just gonna be ambiguous and the employee will never know if they're doing a good job. Got it, got it. Alright, moving right along, uh, we talked about
0: compensation and incentives, and then we talked about the W, which was workforce capacity. Yep. Let's unpack one of those, or you can be hard-headed again and do both. (laughs) So talk to me about, let's start off with uh, compensation and incentives. How do you, what are some metrics around those? How should companies be thinking about that
1: as a HR metric? So when it comes to compensation, this is the most and probably will always be the most data-driven part of HR Mm -hmm. in people operations because it's all numbers. You make a certain amount, you then get promoted, or you get a new role, or you step up and you become the manager or whatever it is, and then you make more money. So what you should be looking at here, and this requires some benchmarking data as well, is one, are you paying market rate? because if you're not paying market rate, then maybe people will leave or people just won't feel appreciated. But then you have to figure out what level of market rate do you want to pay? Right. There are certain companies that will look at benchmarking data and say, you know what? On average, industry players are paying $40,000 per year for this role, but we don't want to do that. Right. We want to be at the bottom of the barrel. Now, you may know that you'll get probably the worst employees there, but maybe you only want to pay thirty thousand right. a year. There are other companies that look at that and say, "Okay, if the average is paying forty, then we want to pay sixty right. Right. for that because we want the cream of the crop, right. and we know that our people are everything. They're our most important assets, and that's the only way we're going to win in our industry."
0: So, is there a technology that will get that benchmark data and pull it in uh, using the APIs? Or is it more ad hoc where you have to go to like a Glassdoor or go to yeah, a so pay scale?
1: Good question. It's a little bit of both. Employees will typically use systems like Glassdoor. Okay. HR and employers will typically use systems like Payscale. Okay. And that's actually something that we're working on as well, to be able to bring in your compensation, bring in benchmarking data, and then overlay the two yeah. so that you can see where you are. Because it's really important. That'd be super powerful insight. So
0: we're gonna to move to a section, the last section of our podcast. And again, thank you for your time and expertise on the of issue. Of course, of course. But this is called the three T's. Yep. I call this the theory, the technology, and the trends. Let's go. So when it talks about the theories, one theory that I think would be appropriate here is Daniel Pink. He wrote a, a book called Drive, yep. How to Motivate Employees. Yep. And he said that there are three things that we have to, a company has to do in order to keep people motivated at work. Number one is to give them autonomy, Mm -hmm. give them a sense of purpose. And finally, they want to be doing work that they haven't mastered yet because the challenge of trying to achieve and get better is what keeps people motivated. Mm -hmm. So in light of that, it doesn't seem like data can truly solve all the problems at an organization. So how do you really get a company to understand the limitations of data, specifically using your product, and where they need to use some other theories and some other expertise that's not based on numbers?
1: Sure, so managing the workforce Mm -hmm. is always gonna be part art, part science. Mm -hmm. You definitely wanna get your employees to be as empowered as possible. And you definitely wanna give as, a much, as much autonomy to your employees as possible. That part, you really can't measure it. Mm-hmm. And even as the CEO of a company, and yeah, you're, you're hearing it right, as a CEO of a company that measures HR data, I'll be the first person to tell you that you don't wanna 100% rely on just employee cycle right. to make decisions. Okay. Because then you're taking out all the human aspect and you're really not thinking about what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're just letting the numbers tell you what to do. So there has to be some massaging of both, so there's a balance of this is what the data is saying, but then this is what my gut is telling me based off of what the data is saying. But there are just some core things that you should do that a lot of companies just do a piss poor job at, which is making sure that people like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Making sure that people actually can come to work and they don't feel like children. Here's one thing that I thought was really interesting. Somebody quoted on one of my podcasts a couple of weeks ago that if you are trying to get everyone to be 100% engaged, you've already lost. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. And basically the analogy that he gave was the same way that you'll never have 0% unemployment is the same way that you'll never have 100% engagement. Right. There are just certain people that don't believe that the reason why they exist on this earth is to do work. Right. They work because they need money, not because, oh my God, I can't wait to build this new plane or I can't wait to design this Hallmark card or whatever. It's, look, I'm good at design. People need cards. This is a stable company. The hell with it. I'm going to do this. But my real thing is that I like vertical farming Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to make money from that, but I can't wait to do this job and go home. No, I don't want to go to happy hour. No, I don't want to go to your bowling party. No, I don't want to stay over and play video games with the rest of the team or whatever. I just want to go to work and go home. Excuse me. So what it really comes down to is understanding that there's a balance. And once you understand that there's a balance, then as long as the data is showing you and giving you direction for where to look to see if there's small issues before they become big problems, and as long as you just treat people like human beings, a lot of people forget that. People believe that once you have this professional employer-employee relationship, that all of a sudden, all of the, all of the regular, just basic nature of how we interact as people goes out the window. I'm still a person at the end of the day, so just treat me like that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's really important because it's not like uh, data money ball where it's like Oakland A's, Billy Bean, and you're looking for these metrics to really drive it. You are just using the data to give you insight on what to do, but there's also the art uh, and the human aspect as well. All right, really quick diving into the technology aspect. It's another theory that says when you're adopting or accepting a new technology, you have to be able to win in three areas. You have to have the perceived ease of use, perceive usefulness of what that data or what that technology is bringing, and there has to be some sort of social influence. Salesforce nailed this, like when somebody says that, when the salesperson says that I use Salesforce, there's a certain level of sophistication that sort of comes with that. Mm -hmm. How are you thinking about rolling out employee cycle to these HR platforms? Essentially, how are you gonna get buy-in to get people to use it and really understand the value that it can bring?
1: That's a great question. So the way that I look at startups, is that you're on typically two ends of the spectrum. You're either this new, brand new thing that no one has ever heard of or thought about and thought they needed, and so no one's looking for it, and they don't think they have a problem today, but once you show them something better, then they adopt it. So on that end, I'm gonna call it a slack. Nobody was searching for new communication tool, I wish I could send instant messenger style text messages to my whole team in some platform. No, you weren't thinking about that. Because email was working, right? right? On the other side, you have Workday, whereas you have a system already, UltiPro, PeopleSoft, some IBM, Connexa, whatever system you're using. And then Workday comes in, smashes the market, and says, all these things you're using already, terrible. We're awesome. They suck. Replace. We're in the middle of that, whereas we're not coming in and replacing an existing product because it's typically Excel, but then on the other end, we're also not telling somebody they have a problem that they don't know they have because they're trying to create these dashboards in Excel and in Google Sheets. So the average person that we've talked to, they're using three to five systems and their HR, their CEO was peppering them on questions all the time. What does our engagement look like? What is our recruiting? What is our headcount? Blah, 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 asking them all these questions. And they're frustrated because their process is log into all these different HR systems, download some crappy CSV spreadsheet, try to turn all those CSVs into a bigger monster crappy spreadsheet, not having any experience in data viz, data science, data analysis searching online, how do I create a pie chart, bar graph, these are literally questions that our customers are asking, and then coming up with something that doesn't have any trend analysis, not providing that much value, and just doing reporting for reporting's sake. And so the value that we're communicating from the beginning is already there. What we're now doing is really working on the use cases of all the different areas that we talked about before Mm -hmm. in regards to what metrics you should be looking at to solve certain problems. So we're really focusing now on if you're looking at recruiting, here are the metrics that you want to see. We've already have them, we already have them in a pre-built section for you. Yeah. You don't have to go around and look to see should I look at this, should I look at that. We'll just show that for you as soon as you create an account. And now we're now helping you figure out once you see this data, especially with our data coach service, to help you better understand the data, let's walk you through and figure out how can you better use this data to solve problems.
0: Great. And I like the Slack workday continuum, really talking about um, the problem I didn't know I have yep. and then like really smashing the market from out the top and how you're coming in as the integrator and not trying to do anything on the ends but right. playing it safe. Right yeah
1: we're solving a problem where people aren't searching for the term HR dashboard mm-hmm. but they know they have a problem because what they're doing is, paying, is very painful.
0: Last question um, 2020 What what is one HR trend that CHROs and companies need to be thinking about that is more prevalent now than it has been in the past.
1: Speaking CFO. Hmm. One of the things that a lot of HR leaders tell us when we ask them, what are one of your top goals? Not as a company, but as an HR people leader. And they say, I need to be able to speak better CFO. Hmm. And we said, what is that? Speaking CFO, translation, I need to be able to tell a data-driven, metrics-driven, numbers-driven story about the workforce. And that's why we exist, but that's why all the systems that we integrate are pouring so much resources and capital into building out all these reports in their systems because the CEO of every company out there right now is saying we need to be more data-driven, we need to understand more about our business, investors, advisors, just the world is putting pressure on everybody to understand the data you're using. And HR right now is the redheaded stepchild, it's the laggard. People put all the resources and focus on the front of the house, sales, marketing. People know their customer funnel, top down, inside out, upside, left side, how many customers they have, where they came from, how long they're staying, what they're paying, everything about the customer, know the, what the customer is thinking, probably have some chip implanted into their head. I mean, they know the customer. But when it comes to employees, people are just scratching the surface. Very good. Thank you, Bruce. This was fun. Thank you. appreciate you thank, thank you. you thanks for kicking us off with yeah us. yeah you know i just bought my chessboard again yeah. so the next time we do this i'll say hey race um how many games did you win <laughs> and it will be zero all right
0: uh, it will man, be zero hell it freeze over before it ever happens we'll see. we'll see we'll see thank you so much um we'll see you guys on the next episode this all is right. the data strategy podcast special thanks to bruce We're looking at how smart companies use data to inform decisions, to improve operations, and make money. Talk to you guys later, bye.